0: you guys could go ahead and grab a seat if you're a guest i want to say welcome my name is byron i get the honor to be able to serve here as the lead pastor i want to say thank you for joining us this morning you could be anywhere in southeast texas including in bed, but you're here on a Sunday morning, so I wanna say thank you very much. For those of you who are guests, in the seat back in front of you, there's one of these uh, Connect cards. Just fill it out with as much information any time during the service. I'm the pastor. I'm not gonna interrupt you while you're doing it. I give you permission. Uh, and then drop it off at the Connect desk afterwards. I would love to be able to say hello. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to uh, Acts chapter 5. As we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts um, that we've been walking through, and we are going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. And while you're finding your place, let me ask you this question. How many of you like sequels? You like sequels? Okay, it used to be said that um, the sequel is not as good as the original, but I think that's really changed. Like, my favorite... A movie that I've seen so far this summer was Top Gun Maverick. Any Top Gun fans up in the room? All right, all right. I love that one. Uh, John Wick 4. Okay, uh, 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 there we go. Avengers Endgame, which was like one of the highest grossing films of all times. It was a sequel, or my daughter's favorite, Frozen 2. Let it go, let it go. All right, well, today is going to to be a sequel, and I hope the sequel is as good as the original, uh, because we're going to pick up where we left off. Last week, the sermon was titled, Why Do Churches Talk About Money?, You ever think about that? Like, why do churches talk about money? We dove into that and we discussed the the reasons why churches talk about money. And uh, last week we saw a story of a man named Barnabas. He was a leader in the first church and we met him as he made a generous gift to the church which brought unity and strength and health to that local church. That's one of the reasons why we talk about money is because it comes along with blessings that are attached to it. Well, this week we're gonna continue... Um, And we're going to learn a different lesson from a different person that on the surface, it seems very similar, but the outcome is very different. And so last week, my sermon was called Why Do Churches Talk About Money? And I always try to come up with a very clever sermon title so you don't forget. And so this week, the sermon is called Why Do Churches Talk About Money? Part 2 reloaded. Let's go, all right? And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to back it up to verse 37, but what we're going to see today is two stories that look very similar but are actually very different. We're going to see Barnabas and his generosity, and we're going to meet a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and we're going to learn the dangers of greed. We're going to see the blessings that come from generosity. We're going to see the judgment, the warnings that come from when we live in greed. We're going to see that generosity leads to life. And in a very real sense today, we're going to see how their greed actually led to their Death. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me. We're in Acts chapter 5. I'll pick it up in verse 36, but here's what we see. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. He was so encouraging, they just gave him a nickname. There's the son of encouragement over there, and I don't think it was like one of those, you know, ironic nicknames where you call a big guy tiny. Um, I think he was actually just so generous. They're like, Mr. Mr. Encouragement, coming on down, all right? It says that he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Next verse, but. It's never good when the Bible says but, right? And here we see the story continues with the man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and only brought a part, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. It's very similar, isn't it? Both sold a piece of property, both brought the proceeds to the church, and both laid it down at the apostles' feet. It looks very similar, but we're going to see the outcome is very different. Now, let me go ahead and say this real quick, because there's a lot of new Christians in the room, and you read that, and you're like, Sapphira, what a beautiful name. I want to name my daughter Sapphira. Um, My advice to you is don't. We're going to keep reading. You're going to learn a little bit why. But people are like, I want a nice Bible name for my kids, right? Like my daughters, their names are Esther and Ruth. Can everybody just say, "aw"? All right? Um, Some people be like, here's my three kids, Judas, Jezebel, and Ananias and Sapphira, right? Uh, Keep reading, it doesn't end well. Let's pick up where we left off here. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to... God, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. Some of you are wondering, what, what, that, what does that mean? It means he died, uh, he's dead, okay? Well, what is that in the Greek? It means he's dead, D-E-A-D, dead. Um, and so he died and the story goes on and continues and it says, a great fear came upon all who heard it. How many of y'all else would kind of feel that way? Like, like if we're passing the plate and one of you falls down dead, everybody's like, pass the plate again, right? Um <laughs> Uh, And so here's what came on. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out, and they buried him. How would it feel to be an usher that day, right? We're like, ooh, not only taking out the offering, we're taking out the trash, all right? Uh, It goes on, it says, "Um, after an interval, about three hours, his wife came in. ladies, this is what happens when you're late, all right? Uh, She was probably like, you know, getting dressed or something like that. But she was three hours late to church. That's why we have four services. Um, It goes on, it says, uh, He confronts her, not knowing what had happened, Peter said, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Very confidently, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband at the door, and they will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell down at his feet, and she breathed her last. When the young men came, they found her dead, and they carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. One story leads to blessings, and one story leads to judgment. Right? Barnabas' story, what we see is a story of great generosity. But in Ananias and Sapphira's story, we see the dangers of greed. In one story, we see health being brought to the church, and unity. In the other, we see harm being brought upon the church, and we see that there is division. What we learn is that generosity leads to life, but greed leads to death in this sense, a very real. It, it reminds me of the verse in First Timothy where it says that, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And it is through its craving that some have even wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many pangs. You ever heard that verse? right? People say it all the time, right? Uh, money is the root of all evil. As a pastor, I hear that. People are like, well, if money is the root of evil, then why do churches talk about money? It's a great question, which is reason why you're here, because that's the sermon title, all right? Part two. Um, people often be like, well, if money is the root of all evil, then why do churches take up an offering? Why do pastors preach about money? Why does the church, if, if money is the root of all evil, then, then why, why do you keep talking about it? Listen, I would love to agree with you if that is what the Bible says. But that's actually not what the Bible says. Let me show you what the Bible actually says. It says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Money is not evil. The love of money is evil. When you love it, you will use people to worship money rather than using money to worship God and love people. You will take advantage of people. You will hoard. You will be stingy. You will be greedy. You like, have to have it. I want it. I need that next promotion. I need that new car. I need that next thing. And it begins to fill those desires in your heart rather than God fulfilling the desires of your heart because you all of a sudden become consumed and controlled and you think about it all the time and it drives you and it motivates you, you are no longer viewing money the way that God sees money, but rather you're viewing money the way that the world sees money. One leads to life and one leads to death. Here's the way that I wrote it in your notes. And we're a note-taking church, so go ahead and pull out that note sheet. Here's the first line is this, is money is either a tool or it is an idol. People say money's bad. Our society, they would love to say that because we are living in a Marxist, socialist, idealistic reality where people are like, money is bad and the rich get rich and the poor get poor. So we need to take it from the rich. We give it to the poor. And, and, and they're all complaining about it and consumerism and capitalism. And they're posting about it on Instagram about how evil the system is while they're drinking a Starbucks cup, um, <laughs> right? And, and so we live in this society where people are like, money is bad, but money is not bad. Money can build a house, but money could also tear a family apart, right? Money can put a smile on a kid's face, but money can also be the reason why your clothes are being made by a five-year-old in a sweatshop somewhere overseas, right? Money, it, it can bring blessings, but money can also bring a great burden. And money is kind of like a knife, like in the hands of a chef, it will cook the most delicious meal for an anniversary. But in the wrong hands of a killer, it can take a person's life. Listen, money is not bad. It really just depends on what you do with it. It's never about the money, it's always about the heart. And so here's the way I would say it is that money is either a tool that you use to bless, help, serve, be generous, take care of your family, or it is an idol. That you worship. This is why Jesus says it like this. No man can serve two masters. He will either love one or hate the other. Therefore, God cannot serve. Therefore, you cannot serve both God and money. Money is a master. You will either learn to master money or money will master over you. The question is, what are you doing when it comes to money? Is money a tool like Barnabas Or is it an idol like Ananias and Sapphira? Money is not bad. The question is, what's in your heart? And so last week we learned about the generosity of of Barnabas, and and we talked about it in great detail. Um, You can go back and you can listen to that message online. But what I want to do is I just want to kind of recap what we covered last week of what happens when you begin to view money like a tool to be able to help other people. There's six signs of generosity. The first sign was this. uh, It's a mark of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, we see the Spirit of God fell upon them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to overflow with generosity. The way that we said it was that Spirit-filled people are to be Spirit-led givers. As you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you overflow with generosity. The second thing is, it's a continuation of the mission of Jesus How are we able to preach the gospel freely, see people get baptized? How are we able to pursue ministry? All the different things that we do on a regular basis as a church because of the generosity of the people, the mission is able to go forward. Number three, it's about unity, that we don't just give to causes, no, we give to the kingdom. We give to the things that make the kingdom of God grow, and we want to be able to 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 give to those things and lay aside our wants and our preferences because we serve a God who is bigger and we are part of a bigger purpose. Number four, it's it's love. You, You give to the things that you love. If you love something, you give to them. Love is not just what you say, love is what you do. And one of the ways that we show our love for others is by being generous to be able to help meet and bless those needs. Number five, it's an act of leadership. What we see is that Barnabas is a leader in the church. That's why leaders get named in the Bible. The reason why they use Barnabas and later Ananias and Sapphira is because of the influence they had in that early church. Everybody knew who they were because he was a leader. He actually goes on and he pastors Paul the Apostle. And we first meet him as an act of generosity because leaders should be the most generous. We can't expect people to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. And so for us as a church, we have a rule from team lead up to elders that everyone in leadership here, they tithe. It's just, it doesn't, giving doesn't qualify you for leadership, but a lack of generosity will disqualify you from leadership. Yeah. You say, well, that, well, what about me? I'm not a pastor. Well, you're a leader in some area of your life. If you're a parent, you're a leader of your kids. So you're to be generous to your children. If you're a husband, right, you're the spiritual leader over your house. And so you're to be generous towards your wife and to your kids. Maybe even at work. You're a leader at your job. You're, you're a leader at college or in your friend group. Like, you know, you're the sum total of the three closest people in your life. And if you look around and you're like, they ain't generous, then guess what? You ain't generous either. And so you need to be a generous leader to raise the level of another person's generosity. We're all supposed to be generous. And then lastly, number six, is it's established by trust. The government takes our taxes. Who who trusts the government? Anybody? Anybody? You're like, yes, tax me more, right? Go ahead and waste more of my money. Um, Yeah, in our society, there's a real lack of trust when it comes to our finances, is there not? And so listen, my encouragement is if if you can't trust the government with your taxes, you should be able to trust the church with your tithe. as, As a church, we should set an example of what authenticity and what transparency it's supposed to look like because the more trusting people are, the more willing people are to give. It says here that they trusted them. They brought the offering and laid it at the apostles' feet. That says a lot of trust for them, right? The way that we said it last week is this, is that transparency is the currency of trust. So at Redemption, we, we want to be tr- very trustworthy when it comes to the, to, to the resources that you give to God as you give to the church, and so what we did last week, and I'll do it again this week, is if you're interested in learning more, we make this available. It's our 2022 financial review. You can see the finances of the church, where the giving is gone. You can see how much we brought in, and you can see all the different ministries that we do. So pick this up on your way out. We love to make that available for you. And also last week, uh, we, we talked about uh, here at Redemption, we are in a two-year generosity initiative where we're, we're, we're focusing on um, how we can steward and, and save and give for the glory of God here in Belmont and beyond. And so there's three things that we're, we're working towards right now. First is we bought a building... And we are going to be working on renovating and construction is getting started. And so this time next year, we will not be at four services, but we have a 600-seat sanctuary that is waiting for the glory of God. Can we just give it up? (laughs) Praise Jesus for that. I thank you. My feet thank you. Thank you. Uh, four services is tough. And so the 1230 people, they're going to be upset because they have to be at church before lunch. But other than that, everybody else is pretty happy. Uh, but we wanted to be so much bigger than a building because the church is not a building, is it? No, the church is a people, right? A church is not a place that you go. It's a family that you belong to. And so we knew that the kingdom of God is bigger than a building. And so we made it about three things. First is, yes, the building. Second is our community. Third is our world our community. We wanna be able to to be like the book of Acts and meet the needs that are in our community. That's why last week we were able to give away $10,000 to the Hope Women's Clinic. Isn't that amazing? Every single year. They're serving over 4,000 women in crisis pregnancies, giving them another option besides abortion, showing them that they can choose life and that there are people who are going to walk with them through that crisis. It's amazing. That's because of your generosity. And then third, we have pledged $160,000 to missions over the next two years. Because of your generosity, we are planting churches in Africa and in Japan. We have missionaries in Muslim countries where it's illegal to be a Christian whenever a hurricane comes through the Gulf of Mexico because of your giving. Our our team is first boots on the ground in places like Haiti or Honduras. Because of your generosity, lives are being changed, not just here in Beaumont, but all around the world. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And as a church... With this radical generosity, our goal for it was $3 million, but you went above and beyond, and you pledged $3.3 million over the next two years. Isn't that incredible? Give your neighbor a round of applause. Thank you so much for your generosity. Like The way we say it is that God gets the glory, but people get the gratitude. Thank you so much for being so radically generous. And so if you would like to learn more about Multiply, we actually have this available for you in the lobby as well. It's a guidebook. It has pictures of the new building, our plans, our budget. It's got a devotional for you to learn a little bit more about it as well. Just pick that up. Nobody's asking you for money or a commitment today, but we would ask you, would you take it home with you? And would you pray about being a part of what God is doing here? It's an exciting time to be at the church. And that's one of the reasons that we talk about money. church. But let me dig down just a little bit deeper uh, and, and just give you a couple of reasons why churches talk about money. Because people ask that all the time. Why do churches talk about money? The first reason we talk about money is because the Bible talks about money. And so here at Redemption, we just preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And in God's providence, we're here in Acts 4 and Acts 5. And it just so happens, I'm not picking on anybody. I didn't pick this message. It's in God's word. And so we just preach it here. And, and the Bible talks about money. Let me ask you this question. Who thinks that uh, faith is important? Anybody think faith is important? All right, faith shows up 300 times in your Bible. The, the word faith or belief or any derivative of how many of you think that, um, that prayer is important? Show of hands. You think prayer is important? Let me see them. All right. First Wednesday prayer night is this Wednesday. Everybody who raised your hand, I expect you to be there. <laughs> you walked right into that one. All right. Um, uh, it, almost, almost 400 times the Bible shows us somebody praying. Who, who thinks love is important? Anybody got some? We got some, okay, love, love, like, okay, great, great, great. Um, 700 times the word love appears in the Bible. Who thinks money is important? Well, God does, apparently, because over 3,000 times in the Bible it references money. So we talk about it because God talks about it. The second reason we talk about it is because Jesus talks about it. People are like, that's the Old Testament, right? You should just preach like Jesus, preach like Jesus. Okay, well, fine, 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 fine. How often does Jesus talk about money? One out of four of his parables actually used money as the illustration. One out of 10 verses in the book of Luke actually deals with how we view money. In fact, the only other subject that Jesus taught on even close to money was one of the subjects that the church is too afraid to talk about today, and that's hell. Jesus preached on hell, and Jesus preached on money. At Redemption, we're not shy. And so we're just going to preach what Jesus preached on. And Jesus is pretty bold when it comes to talking about these two things. So we talk about it because God talks about it, talk about it because Jesus talks about it. Another reason we talk about money is because you talk about money all the time. It's like church is the one place you can't talk about it. You talk about it at work. You talk about it at home. You talk about it with your friends. Oh, God forbid you talk about it at church. You talk about money all the time. Like, do you go to work because you just love it? No, you go to work because they would give you what? Money, right? You wouldn't believe it. I went to Starbucks the other day. It got me a cake pop and a mocha chocolate. And you know what they said? Give me your money, right? And I didn't get offended at them and walk out. No, I, I get, like you talk about everywhere you go. Money touches every aspect of our lives, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. The number one reason for divorces, top reason for divorces in America is due to financial stress. One of the re- leading causes for uh, anxiety and depression it's because of financial stress. Who thinks, who thinks that, um, that, that uh, who, who loves the rising interest rates on your house? Anybody? Anybody? Taxes? Anybody? Anybody think that like eggs are too cheap? Anybody? <laughs> no, 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 right? It, it, it touches every aspect of your life. Think about it like this. In America, the average American has $111,000 of personal debt, house, car, student loans, 11,000 of that is credit cards. The average American is walking around carrying that much debt. In addition to that, two-thirds of Americans cannot afford a $500 emergency. So if you were leaving here today and you were to get uh, four flat tires, you would be in crisis. 56% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. But yet here's what we do is we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even know. That's the way the world thinks about money. Buy this, you need this, you gotta have this, don't miss this. Is the world's way working? God has a better way. And I don't know about you, but, but here's what I, I, I've done. I've just decided that I'm gonna do things God's way. Here's why, because God's way is the best way. Like the way the world talks about money versus the way that God talks about money is radically different. The world says, spend, and God says, steward. The world says, you got to get it. And God says, man, I give it to you to give to others. The way that the world views money is, you gotta have it, it's gonna be your security. And God says, I am your security and your comfort and your, everything you need, I got it available for you. That's what God says, trust me. And then the world says, in God we trust, but really on the money, it should say in money we trust. So my question is, how do you view, how do you view money? Is it, a, is it a tool to love, help, and serve others? Or is it an idol to only serve yourself. Because listen, you can only worship one. You can't worship both. You either worship God with your money or you worship money as your God. That's the reason that churches talk about money is because we want you to begin to build your life God's way. Because God's way really is the, the best way. Here's a a verse right here in Proverbs. It says this, one gives freely and yet grows all the richer while another withholds what he should give and he only suffers want. God's way is this. If you live with an open hand, man, I'm gonna pour out blessings upon your life. You're gonna grow in godliness and holiness and you are going to see things that I can do that no man could ever do for you. But if you live with a clenched fist and a closed hand, it says you will only suffer what? want. Barnabas and Ananias, perfect portrait of what happens when one person lives a generous life versus another person who lives a greedy life. One person blessed, one person judged. One person life, the other person death. How do you view money? Is it a tool or is it an idol? So let's dig down a little bit into Ananias' story. What was his problem? Remember, go back to go back to Timothy. It says this. It, it says they have pierced themselves with many pangs for the love of money. It says it is the root of all evil. That means that greed is a root that manifests of in different fruits of your life. On the surface, you think, well, he just did one thing. He was just a little greedy. Ain't we all? A little bit, right? But he's actually guilty of six sins that happen in the story because greed is a root that manifests in various fruits. There's actually six things that he's guilty of in this. The first is pride. He wanted what Barnabas had. Barnabas made his offering, and then all of a sudden, people are like, thank you, Barnabas. Man, it's so generous. Like, we're able to help and meet these needs. You know, praise God for you, Barnabas. And then Ananias was like, praise God, praise me. I want some of that for myself. I want some of that glory. I want some of that pride. I want people to look at me and say, wow, look at him. And it was that pride that opened the door for his acts of greed. Listen, can I just tell you something? Is that you will never please God when you're trying to get people's approval? When you're living for what people think or say, when you're living for the approval of man, you will never have the anointing of God on your life. If you want to have God's anointing, you live for God's glory and praise. But, but if you're only just thinking, what are people going to say about me? What are people going to think about me? What are people going to do about me? If it's all about you and it's not about him, that's an area of pride. Do we do this in today? Yes, sociologists call this conspicuous consumption. It's when you buy things, not for the functionality of the product, but the identity that it brings like the neighborhood you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, it all says something about you. But what does God say about you? That should be what matters the most. God's not up against you having nice things as long as the nice things don't have you. God's not opposed to you having possessions as long as you're not possessed by those possessions. So, 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 so it says, here's what God says. Every single Christian should, should want to hear these words at the end of their life. Well done, my good and faithful servant." And I don't know about you or how you live your life, but I just decided that I would rather hear the words "Well- done, good and faithful servant," than how much did you pay for that watch? Right? Because I would rather have the anointing of God than have the approval of man. Guard against pride. The, the second thing is this, is, is stealing. Uh, you know, or so, sorry, se- second thing is, is, is stealing. This one's interesting, because it said they sold the property. What's big deal? They sold the property. But then it says they withheld some. They took some back. That word there, withheld, in the Greek is the word to pilfer or to embezzle or to steal. Peter even tells them, you don't have to do this. And they said, no, 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 we're going to do it. So you don't have to give it all. No, we're going to give it all. It says, while it was in your possession, it was yours to do whatever you wanted with. And even when you sold it, it was still all at your disposal. Why did you lie? They pretended, we're going to give it all. But secretly, they kept some back for themselves. Now, let's say they sold the house for $100,000. Okay, great. We're going to give $100,000. And then they show up and they, they gave 50. Is that still good? And they didn't have to do it. So yeah, it's great. But it wasn't what they gave. It was why they gave it. It was not about the amount. It was about the attitude. It didn't, God doesn't care about the size of your gift. What he cares about is the sacrifice of the giver. And this person, they withheld what they said. And the moment they said, we're going to give it to God, and they took it back, they began to steal. What is it called when you, give, when you take something that doesn't belong to you? The stealing. Okay, I see. Uh, and so who did they steal from? Well, they actually stole from four people. First, they stole from the church. The second is they stole from the poor. Acts chapter 4 says they were giving to meet the needs of the people. And so now the orphans, the widows, now they are unable to be able to make a living. The single mom who's working two jobs to buy groceries for her kids, now they don't get to eat that week because Ananias and Sapphira took what ultimately belonged to them. And the third thing is that they stole from God. Now some of you are like, he's God, he can't steal from him. Actually, the Bible says, you very yeah, you can. Here's what Malachi says. It says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? He says, by your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Do you ever wonder why America is in the state it's in? Do you ever wonder why we're in like $42 trillion in debt and we lost $32 billion just accidentally on an accounting error to Ukraine? You know why? Uh, Because we're cursed. Our nation is cursed. Do you know why inflation and all these things keep getting more and more and more and more? Because we view money as God. Because of the greed in in, in our politics, the greed in our consumerism, and our materialism, our our nation's cursed. You wonder why finances and marriages and relationships are so strained? Because because people are worshiping God as their money rather than worshiping their money as God. Because for us, money is an idol and is not being used as a tool. And therefore, we're sitting under a curse because you're robbing from God. But listen, here's how good God is. God gives us all an opportunity. Because the very next verse, here's what it says. It says, it says this. It says, bring the full tide to the storehouse that there may be food in my house, that there may be, put me to the test of the Lord of God here. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessings until there's no more need. Listen, greed leads to stress, but generosity leads to blessings. God gives us all a choice to be generous or to be greedy, to worship him or to worship money. And I don't know about you, but I would rather have the blessings of God on my life than to live without him. Right, here's the way that I put it for your notes, is less with God is more than more without him. Like People people will say, I can't afford to give. Listen, according to the Bible, you can't afford not to give. Because when you live with a closed fist, God cannot pour out blessings upon your life. But when you live with an open hand, you live under an open heaven. And I would want to have God's blessings on my life. I would rather live on 90% with God than 100% without him. I've just seen it over and over again in my life. That God's provision, God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's joy, God's blessings. I've seen it over and over in my life. And I've just come to the point that, I'm like, hey, I can't afford not to give because I can do more with less with God than I could ever do without him in my life. And, so, and here's what I get so upset about. The, the fourth person they steal from, they're stealing from themselves. Like, like when people, like, are, are, don't give and they're, they're greedy, man, I really just feel sorry for them because they're robbing themselves. Of the life that God has over them. They're, they're hurting themselves. They're preventing God from moving freely in their life because their hands are so closed. But if you learn to live with an open hand, you'll learn that God will be able to bless and meet every need that you have. So 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 greed is, is stealing. Uh, the, the next thing is this: is that greed is hypocrisy. Th- this one's huge right, because I just imagine, like, if this story was taking place in, in 2023, the church today, I, I could just imagine um, they just come rolling in with, like, their phone out, taking, a, like, doing Instagram live, hey, everybody, what's up, I'm just here at church, gonna help uh, the homeless today, and uh, look at all these, you know, orphans from Africa, Just just doing my mission trip for everybody, guys, just good to see y'all, I'm going to go take this large offering, and I'm just going to drop this down. Oh, isn't it so great? Hashtag blessed, right? All right, I'll see y'all See y'all next time. They turn it off, and then they die. He's <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, what happened? Right, because you can fool people, but you can't fool God. Right, you can make everybody on your social media think you're the best person in the world. God sees your heart. Man only sees the outside. God sees what's on the inside. And you can fool them, but you can't fool God. You can pretend to be generous without actually being generous. Is that our society? Is that that our society? I mean, every time there's a cause or an agenda or there's always some social justice warrior who jumps on Twitter and posts the hashtag, I'm raising awareness for this. And everybody's like, wow, look how generous you are. How do you even stay on top of all the trends? You're so generous. You're so amazing. You're so compassionate. You're so caring. You're so kind. You posted the square. Oh. And meanwhile... They're betrayed by their bank account. (laughs) Because you know what? Those kids in Africa cannot eat your Facebook (laughs) likes, Right? No no one's going to get a sandwich on the streets because you retweeted somebody else's post. Instead of pretending to be generous, actually be generous. Put your money where your mouth is or put your wallet where your Facebook posts are. They're, They're hypocrites. Today we call it virtue signaling. The Bible just calls it hypocrisy. It's saying one thing and doing another. It's expecting others to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. It's wanting people to think you are something that you're actually not. Listen, can I just tell you, God will not bless who you pretend to be. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. And so instead of being hypocritical, we need to be authentic when it comes to how we've used, been, saved, and given. There's a researcher, his name's Christian Smith. He does the largest uh, research in the nation around the subject of generosity. It's called uh, Passing the Plate or State of the Plate. And he's a sociologist out of Notre Dame. And he he did a survey to figure out how generous is America actually? Because we look very generous. Well, he discovered that 5% of the GDP goes towards charities. And that sounds amazing. 5%, that sounds great. I mean, the Bible says 10% should be the goal, but 5%, doing pretty good. So we can feel pretty good about that stuff. But here's what's so fascinating. It's like if you turn on your social media or you follow on Twitter and you look at all the the progressive ex-evangelicals and the world and all the deconstructionists and they'll be like, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites and they're all mean and evil and they're all crooked and they don't have the love of Jesus in them, right? So they say all these negative things about the church. What they discovered is if you remove Christians giving goes down from 5% to 0.65% of the GDP goes towards charities. That means nearly 100%. So I think the number is like 80 to, to 86% of, of all charitable giving actually comes from the church. Christians give it a three times more than non-Christians do. You know why? Because we've discovered the joy of generosity. Because we've learned the value of living with generosity. And so my question for you is this, are you pretending to be generous or are you actually being generous? But God cannot bless who you pretend to be because he sees what nobody else sees. He saw Ananias, Sapphira, and he saw Barnabas, and one was blessed and one was judged. Which leads to the next point. Um, Number four, it's demonic. Look what Peter says here. Uh, Peter says, Ananias, why have Satan filled your heart so you would lie to the Holy Spirit. On the surface, you read this, and you're like, that seems very harsh. God killed them because they didn't give enough? Okay, what does that say about me? Oh, my God, <laughs> you know? Like, that seems like, isn't this, isn't this like the, the new test? Like, why? What happened to God's, to God's grace? Okay, listen to me. Um, first thing is this, is one, you don't know how many opportunities God had already given Ananias and Sapphira. The, the second thing is, Peter gave them an opportunity to confess, and they didn't do it. They lied straight to his face. They lied to God, and they lied to, to, to Peter. He gave them an opportunity to confess, and he did it. The, the third thing is this. Grace is a gift. God doesn't owe you a thing. And when you think you deserve the grace of God, that only goes to show the greed that is in your heart. And so for those who are offended over what God does, you need to check your heart because there's greed in there. Because you think you deserve grace. God doesn't owe you a thing. But yet he still gives it freely. The fourth thing is it actually was an act of grace. So how was that grace? It may not have been grace to Ananias and Sapphira, but it was grace to that church. Here's the reason it was grace. Because he says, why has Satan filled your heart? Is there any other person or time in the Bible that those words Show up when Judas betrayed Jesus. For what? For 30 pieces of silver, right before Jesus was crucified. Greed led to the death of our Lord and Savior. And now Satan has taken this opportunity to infiltrate the church, to bring a demonic attack against the early church in its infant stages, and God took him out. We don't know what the rest of the book of Acts would have looked like if Ananias and Sapphira would have gotten that position of leadership. Because here's what we know, is if the devil can get the pulpit, he can get the pews. Here's the way we say it at redemption. Sheep get loved, goats get starved, wolves get shot. And we live in a wicked and twisted generation where people are more compassionate to wolves than they are to shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd and he took out the wolf. Why did he do that? Because there was a demonic attack against the church. Why has Satan filled your heart? Listen, we have a choice, every single one of us. We can either be filled with the Holy Spirit or we will be filled with something else. And greed, it opens the door to demonic activity in your life. Don't believe me? Look at all the little girls who are being trafficked right now across the world. You know why? Because of the greed. Look at the pornography industry or the abortion industry. It's because of the greed. Look around at all the pains and perils and plagues and all the death and devastation that's happening all around us. That's greed. And it's an open door for the demonic. If you live a life of greed, you are capable of doing the most horrific things. God saw this and he took them out before the devil could take them out. So, so what do we do? How, how, do we, how do we guard our hearts against greed? Is the answer. Just to, just to, to give all of our money away? Is that, is that the answer? Is that, is that the way? That's what that's what pro, pro, there there's three types of theologies, right? There's prosperity theology, which says the more you make, the more God loves you. We don't believe that. The second one is what's is called poverty theology. Like, give all your money away. Money's bad, money's bad. Is money bad? No, money's not bad. We don't want to have prosperity theology. We we don't want to have poverty theology. We want to have a proper theology. And and, and proper theology says money is a tool. It is not an idol. And therefore, we need to use it wisely. So so how do we overcome this greed that's in our heart? Let me give you an illustration to help. It says Satan has filled your heart. And so every single one of us, this is our lives, right? Here's our heart. And here's our wants and materialism, our consumer. Oh, man, look at that. This is amazing. Oh, I really need this. I want this house. I want this car. I want this status. I want this reputation. I want this privilege or this power. And oh, look at this. Oh, there's a new pair of shoes. And oh, look at this. Here's a new car. And oh, man, I need to get this and save this and spend this. Oh, i are going to add this to it. And then all of a sudden, all, all this time, your, your eyes just continue to consume the things of this world. And eventually, over time, it will begin to fill your heart. So how do we get these things out of our hearts? How, how, do, we, how do we overcome this? When we're full of ourselves, Paul, or the Bible says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as the spirit of God begins to, let me make a, I'm gonna make a mess. Let me put that here. As the spirit of God begins to fill our hearts and our lives, what happens is the more we pray, the more we study our Bible, the more we spend time in community, the more we go to First Wednesday in church, the more we read, the more we pray, the more we bless God, the more we begin to do these things, all of a sudden there is no room in our hearts for the things of this world because we have been filled with the spirit of God. And as we are continually and constantly filled with God's Spirit, there's no more room for stuff. Like it, it, You want to you you, you see that change in your life. You want to see that life change. You want to see that transformation. The answer is not to do more. The answer is to spend more time with God. And the more time we spend with God, the more we're going to be filled with the Spirit. Because the reality is this, is everybody's filled with something. You're either going to be filled with the Spirit or you're going to be filled with yourself. You're going to be filled with spirit you're going to be filled with stuff. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit or maybe you'll be filled with something else. But everybody's filled with something. The question is, what are you being filled with? And so we need to recognize that what happens in our heart is what matters most to God. Are you being filled with the spirit or are you being filled with greed? The the, the next thing is this. Number five, they were selfish. Now, the question is, did they give? Yes. See, our society, we equate giving with generosity. The Bible does not say giving is generous. Because it's not about what we give, but why we give it. Did you know that people can appear to be very generous? Think about it like this. An abusive man Will hook a woman with gifts. Call it narcissism. Love bomb them to the point to where they just open up to you and then eventually got them right where they want them and they begin to abuse them. Is that generous? No, that's manipulation. That's abuse. People can use money to buy status, people can use money to abuse. So don't mistake giving for generosity because it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. It's not about what's in the wallet. It's about what's in the person's heart. And they gave with strings attached, which is not generosity. They were selfish. They wanted what comes with the appearance of generosity without actually being generous. They thought, what's in it for me? Did they give because they love to see kids get baptized? Did, did they love to give because they love the missions partners, because they want to see this new building, because they love all the women in crisis pregnancies all across Southeast Texas, and they wanted to, 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 to see life? Is that why they gave? No, they gave because they're like, what's in it for me? That's not generosity. That's selfishness. The question, as Christians, are we to be I forget, the, I forget the verse. Uh, did, did Jesus come to be served? Or does Jesus say, love yourself, pick up your cross, and I'll follow you? No, 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 no. What, is, what does he say? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, listen. You are never more like Jesus than when you are being generous. Do You want to be like Jesus? Oh, learn to be generous. This is the reason why I think the devil gets all up in your business when pastors talk about money. Right now, right now, the devil is just all up in somebody in this room's ear, right? Just saying, "Oh, the pastor just doesn't understand. He just doesn't know the church just wants your money. And if they only knew what you were going through and all these different things, he just gets all up in your na 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 na, all up in your business, right? And here's the reason why. Because the devil knows the Bible really well. And, and, and he knows that Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he knows if he can get your hooks in his wallet, then he can have your heart. Yeah. It's a battle. It's a battle. Life and death all the time, baby. And he gets all up in there because he hates it when you look like Jesus. Jesus. Oh, man, they're, 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 they're learning to trust God with their money. Well, what are they going to do? Now, now, now the, uh, the lust of the eyes and the appearance of the flesh is not going to have that control over them. i got to do something to be able to offend them. But the devil just loves it whenever, whenever, whenever you get offended and you get greedy and you get bitter around this subject when you think about me instead of thinking about Christ. And, and so, so who is our God? Jesus is the most generous ever. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus says that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down freely. No greater love than there is there for someone to lay down their life for another. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gives. Jesus gave. Jesus is the most generous. And so if you want to look like Jesus, learn to be generous with your life as well. It doesn't tell us to be selfish, but to be selfless. Not to consume, but to contribute. Not to be a spectator, but to be a participator for the glory of God and for the good of others. Do not be selfish. Do not just love yourself, deny yourself, crucify your flesh, pick up your cross, and follow after me. That's what Jesus says. And so if you want to be like Jesus, you gotta learn how to be generous because he was the most generous of all. It's a choice for every single one of us. Are we going to be generous like Barnabas, or are we going to be greedy like Ananias and Sapphira? Are we going to see the blessings of God, or are we going to see judgment on our life? It's a choice. It literally is a matter of life and death. And some of you are like, it's not a life and death. It's not that big of a deal. For them it was. Because we all have a choice, which is the last one. is Number six is death. It leads to death. Death of relationships. You ever been dating a greedy guy? You ain't dating him no more. That's why you're here. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I can't tell you how many marriages have fallen apart because of greed. People have lost their jobs due to greed. It could lead to a, a relationship death. I mean, some of us in this room, like, we, we, we feel that when it comes to our relationship with our parents. My dad was always working. He never had time for me. That greed, it puts a hole in our hearts. And then sometimes it leads to a physical death as well. Here's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. It just happened a little early for Ananias and Sapphira. But the reality is, as every single person in this room, you will die. For some, it comes sooner than others. But every single one of us is stand before God one day on judgment day. And we will have to give an account for our lives. And on that day, you cannot lie to God. And so this text actually serves as a a warning for us. God's love, he's giving us an opportunity before it's too late to make it right. So we can learn from Barnabas and we can learn from Ananias and Sapphira. Because here's the reality is five minutes after you die, you will know exactly how you should have lived. And a lot of us, we fix our sights on what is temporary and we miss out on what is eternal. We want all of the rewards now and we miss out on the treasures in heaven. Five minutes after you die, you will know exactly how you should have lived. And if we want to make that decision, it all comes down to how we read this next verse. Verse 11, it says, and a great fear came upon the whole church. You say, should I fear God? Yes. In a very real sense, you should. Does that mean that I should be, I should be afraid of him? In one sense, yes, because God is big and we are not. But in another sense, that fear allows you to understand this. If I fear God, I don't need to fear anything else. Let me give you an illustration is that me and Ashley on our honeymoon, um, this week is actually our 15th wedding anniversary. Can we give it up for Ashley for not divorcing me? Come on, somebody, right? I ain't easy to love. Okay. Um, We went to Big Bend. We climbed to the top of um, the Chisos Mountains, Emory Peak, 7,000-foot elevation. Now, listen, I ain't scared of heights. I'm scared of falling, okay? Um, (laughs) And so I climbed to the top of that mountain, and I stood right over the edge, and you know what? I was afraid because it was so much bigger than me, and I saw myself for who I really was. I am not the center of the universe, God is the creator of the universe. And he is big and he is holy and he is worthy of all glory. Glory means worth and weightiness, preeminence. It means worship. Who gets the glory in your life? When you live for your glory you going to be greedy. But when you live for the glory of God, you're going to be generous. The question is, who gets the glory? Does your spending habits reveal your God? Does this purchase, does this glorify God? Does this expense glorify God? Do I, do, does, does this glorify God? Or does it simply just glorify my flesh? The question every single one of us have to answer is, who is in the position of glory in your life? So you say, why why do churches talk about money? Really, it's not about getting the money out of your wallet. It's about getting the idol out of your heart. Because here's the reality. It's the last note as we close. And I want you to hear me. Lean in on this. Listen to me. Money promises what only God can provide. People live in so much fear when it comes to their finances. And God says, with me, you don't need to be afraid because my pure and perfect love will cast out all fear. Money will say, I will be your strength. And God says, I am a refuge and a help for anyone who is in times of need. Money says, money says that, that I will be your security. No, the Bible says that we are secure in Christ. Money promises identity. But we know that identity only comes from the Lord of Jesus. That's where the promises of God are made real. It's not in what money promises, but it's what God provides for us. And so it's not about your money. It's about your hearts. Are you using money to worship God or are you worshiping money as your God? Because no man can serve two masters. We saw that in Barnabas and Ananias. Barnabas worshiped Jesus with his money. Ananias used the church to further his love of money. Can I just encourage you, redemption? If you fear God, there is no need to be afraid. When you glorify God, God will honor you. I believe it's a quote that says, God is most glorified in us when we are satisfied in him. Are you satisfied with the Lord? And he will be glorified in your life redemption we want to put God and his glory at the top of everything that we do so let me share with you a story of a a couple in our church who they got in on this generosity journey back at the beginning of multiply and God's already begun to do things in their life and I believe that for those of you who take that step of generosity today to start that journey of being like a Barnabas I believe God wants to and can do a very similar thing in your life as well
1: Through Multiply, uh, we have seen God just radically come through in our lives, whether it was our finances or our marriage, uh, everything. God has just really made it very evident that He's a part of our lives on a day-to-day basis. And uh, before Multiply even started, we were hesitant to even give to it just because we have both seen uh, multiple building campaigns that, Uh, multiple previous churches and other churches just be a little bit different than what was advertised with Redemption. And with Multiply Redemption, it was all about reaching people and not just building a building. And that's what really struck our hearts. Like, wow, this is to grow people and to reach people so that we can get a bigger building so they can come into, not just build a building because it's aesthetic or looks nice or something we just want or need. It's because we just want to reach people and by reaching so many people we need this building and that was the the goal that really um, made us stand firm in that hey we're going to give and we're going to support this with everything uh, that we have and uh, starting off with multiply uh, we we have been and we still are we're probably going to be in the process of uh, buying our first house in the next few months and so it was a strenuous time for us wanting to give to this it was like man like is this going to prohibit what note we're going to have to get? Like, are we going to have to downgrade? Like, what's it going to look like? But honestly, we really didn't even entertain that as much as what um, we could have at that time. We just said, you know what? Like, forget about it. Hey, God, like, you're, we trust you with this, and we're going to go forward with this. Because we've both never been people that really give above our tithe. We both have tithe multiple times in our life and through every church that we've been through. But this was different, giving above and beyond, and... Uh, we came from a period of time where we were really strict with our money and where it goes. And so giving to this was just, it was going to put us out on a limb a little bit. But, uh, but going out on that limb and letting God just take over and with the right heart posture, He really, really blessed us. And uh, with the money that we've given so far to the building campaign, we've probably seen 15 times turnover in what God has given back to us. Which we see all those stories all the time, people getting blessed with giving you know and all this but we've never received that before and honestly we didn't expect it because we've never received it before but I, right now like what we've done and how we've gone about it like god has really just blessed us because we've been faithful to him so he was faithful to us and uh like begin, march and april and may were crazy months for us um her photography business like took off out of nowhere in march so she was you were killing it yeah
0: i was booked every single weekend um i was booked on saturdays and then i would come serve on sunday in the morning and then i would come back to downtown beaumont and take senior pictures so it was just really hard to like even keep up at a point because i was just like
1: constantly people in my dms like asking me for pictures so it was kind of cool to see that yeah every weekend she's doing pictures and stuff and you know i'm looking at the week she's booked the whole weekend so i'm free so i'm like hey i'm gonna go play golf then all of a sudden, my job was like, hey, we need you to work some overtime. And so I'm like, well, I don't get to play golf, so now I get to work overtime. But that, that was just part of the blessing that God had given uh, to us mm-hmm. and financially, especially going in the season of like wanting to buy a home and going out on that limb giving extra money, but now we're receiving extra money, which it doesn't add up. Like when I do the math, it just doesn't make sense. But, but God, He came through for us, and He still is to this day. And uh, all I have to say is if you are... Um, struggling with it you're worried that you're not gonna that you're giving too much maybe um, you got bills coming up you're worried about or maybe haven't started giving yet because you don't know if you can afford it like you can't afford to not uh, be faithful to God and allow him to be faithful to you and that was just one of those things for us that we struggled with and we battled through it and now we're seeing God bless us so say if we can do it like you can do it too if during this season